Hey, good morning. We are incredibly glad you're here. Can you believe it's Christmas season? I was giving you a second chance to redeem yourself here. I mean, we sang a Christmas carol. Come on. More to come. Uh, I was with my five-year-old yesterday. I told this story first service, I'll tell you. And he looks at me and he says, Dad, and that's one of those dads where you kind of want to turn the recorder on because you know something good's coming, right? Like the little mind has just been thinking and processing. And Dad, I said, what, bud? He said, I miss summer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Welcome to the Midwest. Um, I say that carried to you uh, because she's from California. So, hey, listen, right, always summer in California. Paxton will come and visit because he misses summer. Hey, uh, we're incredibly excited that almost 500 women will be gathering tomorrow night for our banquet. That's incredible. That is incredible. Um, We know neighbors are coming. We know that there's just a lot of people. But here's the deal. After this morning, uh, because you are in for a treat with Carrie and just her heart for Jesus, I think the last 10 seats will be taken by men. And we're totally fine with that. You guys just jump on and go, I'm coming. Uh, Because this is is good Um, this morning. uh, We are in for a treat with... Carrie, I had the chance to see her for the first time at our women's conference back in February, and I snuck in. It was a women's conference, but I was there. And as she spoke, I haven't ever, I've not laughed that hard during somebody speaking um, in my life. And, And there was a reason for that, but it's her heart more than anything, the joy that is in her. And I've been saying this this weekend, I'll say it again, what's bigger than the joy in her is the Jesus in her. And... That is what I get to witness every time I've got to hear you speak. Uh, Carrie's a national speaker. Uh, She's a life coach. She's a mother of three, uh, founder of the freedom movement. Here's why that's powerful for us. We have been on a freedom journey at Alpine. If you remember back in February, right after the women's conference, we had a move of God at Alpine that began to shake people's hearts, and freedom is being experienced. And at the heart of who Carrie is, is a desire for us to experience the promise that he who the sun sets free is actually free indeed. And we believe that hope is a confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the promises and character of God. And so we cling to that. But here's the truth. Let me just give you this. Sometimes for those of us who make a decision to follow Jesus, that freedom comes miraculously. And other times freedom is a journey. And one of the resources that Carrie has uh, brought with her is for those of us, especially ladies, experiencing, um, whether it's addiction, whether it's battling fear, depression, whatever it is that would be holding you back from fully being able to surrender to Jesus, that puts a lot of things in here. This is a resource that you can walk with Carrie for nine weeks um, and grow in that and experience the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. And that, that's, a, that's a way that God uses his people. And so I want to encourage you, if, if that's something, as she comes and speaks, you're like, I, I, need more, I need more of Jesus, but I need more of that voice in my life too. You should go back and grab that before you go. But I'm going to invite her to come, and I'm incredibly excited about her heart and love for Jesus. And she's got a message that I get to hear for the third time. <laughs> and it's awesome. You will laugh. You will love it. You will have fun. You will be challenged. Give her a huge warm welcome as she comes. Carrie Garcia. Thank you so much. We gotta keep hugging, like just three times of hugging, all the hugging. Good morning, Alpine Church. You guys were the sleep in ones. I get it. 
I live with you. This is where I would live if I lived here. I'd live in this service. Actually, probably Saturday night, because honestly, I could sleep till 11 if I wanted to. Um, I like my sleep. Also, yeah, Southern California. I came here, and I was like, it's cold. <laughs> but you guys are so committed. I mean, in Southern California, if it even like sprinkles, it's Stormwatch 2019, and nobody goes to church. Like, we'll just watch online. But look at you coming out, the brave, the strong. You are much more stronger than Californians. You are also, I went to dinner last night, and there was tractor parking. So I'm just saying, this is a whole new world for me. And I'm in for all of it. I love it. Love it all. Love the snow. I know apparently it's annoying, but I'm loving it. Not so much the rain, but I am loving the snow. I love being here, and I love coming back to Alpine Church. Um, I got, the, like uh, Pastor said, I got the opportunity to be here um, for the one conference, and instantly I just felt connected to your pastors. And I know you get to hear from your pastors all the time, um, but as somebody who's coming in and kind of seeing the behind the scenes and want to just share with you, one, I don't say anything I don't mean, and two, I want to share with you what a blessing it is for you to be in a place where your pastors not only preach truth from the front, but they live it in the back. And that is an honor to be in this place. And so I don't know if you came here for the first time just searching or just wanted free childcare. I get it. I mean, we all need a break, you know? Like, I'll try church because they got free childcare. Uh, but you're in a safe place. And, you know, you, you are welcome here. Even if you don't believe what we believe, you belong here. And, and our relationship with God and figuring this all out is truly a journey, and no one's arrived. And so we're really thankful that you're here this morning, and I feel honored to partner with Alpine Church and to be here representing and standing on a stage that I believe represents the heart of God, grace, and mercy. So I'm very excited to be here, and you should be very honored to be at this church because it's a safe and wonderful place. So can we just give like a shout out to this church? So amazing and so awesome. So I grew up in the church. Um, I grew up a Baptist. Uh, so yeah, that was interesting. And uh, you know, my parents are both pastors. And you know, for me, growing up in a pretty staunchly strong Baptist church, we then moved on to non-denominational, and then we went a little Pentecostal. So I got it all. So you got to keep that clock running for me, or I will go till tomorrow. The last service kind of got a glimpse of that. But growing up, you know, for me, we never got to, you know, as a woman, we never really got to be on the stage. That wasn't a thing. Now it's a thing, and it's fun because I got a job now. But back then, no job, you know. But I was, like, always ready to be on the stage. I've been in plays my whole life and stuff, but never was able to do it in church until Christmas season. Because in Christmas season, we had the Christmas pageant. And in the Christmas pageant, they needed people, women, to be on the stage. So I was like, my time to shine. Here we go. You know? And, and you had to pick. Now, I was strategic in picking the most coveted role. Now, you might think that's Mary, but Mary had no lines. So no. I need to speak with authority on the stage. Because I'm anointed at that point. You know, I'm seven. But still, anointed. So what do I want to go for? Hello, the most coveted role of all, the angel, all dressed in all my garb, you know, the white sheet, and I had wings and a halo, and I got to say with authority, fear not, for the Lord is with you, you know? 
I am so excited about it because I'm like, and I get to stay on stage the entire time. The angel never leaves you, just stands there. You know? Living my best life, just milking it till next year when the woman can come on stage again. You know, we've come a long way, church. And, but I'll tell you the one role nobody ever wanted. It was like the one kid that was like, well, it's the elder son. Just put him on the stage. He's kind of awkward, but it's fine. And for those of you that are here, trust me, the story will go like this, but it'll come back up. But there, it was the wise men, the three wise men. No one ever wanted to be the three wise men because it was like the awkward kid that just came out picking his nose. You know, like, here's your gift. And then they just walk off. And I'm the angel, like, be gone, you know. I don't know really the purpose you serve, but thank you for your gift. Now leave. Nobody wanted to be the wise men, right? For me, you know, like that was such a call on my life. I didn't know that at the time, but when I was on the stage, that was where I had found myself, you know? I, I just really knew that that's where I was supposed to be. And, and that was kind of the truth of my whole life of always kind of discovering that I was meant to do something. But I think for some of us, some of us know that there's been a calling on our life or there's been a dream that has been in our life, but for some of us, we might have just lost our way. For me growing up, uh, some of you know my story, but growing up in the church, again, pastor, uh, pastor, still, he's still a pastor, my dad, and, and my mom was um, you know, on the worship team, played the egg shaker, very spiritual, you know? She was like, yes, that was edgy, actually, for the Baptists. <laughs> They're like, oh, okay, I don't know. We need to think about this egg shaker. She was there every Sunday, and my family on the outside, my mom was beautiful, 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 well put together. My dad was 6'5", very buff, strong Baptist voice, kind of hellfire and brimstone, but we won't get into that. But he was a very powerful voice, and we dressed up every Sunday in our Sunday best. In fact, for those of you that are at my age will know, every Sunday, Dorothy Hamill haircut curled. Every Sunday, there's like five of you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the rest of you are like, who's Dorothy Hamill? <laughs> You're young, and I'm not. Um, every Sunday, our hair was perfectly curled. We played the part really well, and we did love Jesus. We did believe in God, but on the inside of our home was extreme brokenness. In fact, as my mom struggled with an eating disorder and mental illness, those were things that we didn't talk about. There wasn't safe places to talk about because we thought if anybody knew what we were really like, they wouldn't want to be around us. They wouldn't want us to be a part of their church, and so we kept those things under wraps. We kept those things private and secret, and you know, in the 80s, everything was flashy and glitzy, and you didn't tell your stuff. You just stuffed it and pretended that everything was okay. For me, this caused a disconnect for me to understand God's truth for my life and, and how God could love me, and yet I felt so broken. I didn't know how to put words to that at the time because I was little. But as I grew up in this narrative of watching my parents perform, watching my parents strive, watching them do what looked right on the outside, but seeing what our life was on on the inside made me very uh, misconstrued about God's love for me. H how could God love us if we're this broken? He must only love us when we pretend we're okay. He must only love us when we actually are okay. So everyone else must be okay, and we must be the only ones pretending that we're not, I mean, that we are okay when we're really not. And this, this became the narrative of my life for many years. In fact, instead of dealing with the hurt that I went through, the rejection and the abandonment of not having a present mommy and a present father, 
I wanted to numb those feelings because I didn't know what else to do with them. So starting at 13, I numbed and numbed. And when alcohol wasn't enough, addiction to drugs became my vice, and I numbed and numbed for almost a decade. I was addicted to meth, and that played its way in my life in so many things that I'm still having to work out some of those addictive thoughts and patterns, even though God has really ministered and healed so much. There's still pieces of that time that were instrumental in my growth path that I missed out on. When I decided I want to get off drugs because this is actually going to kill me, I'm actually going to lose my life if I don't stop doing this. I thought, I know what I'll do to heal me. I'll step into ministry because ministry will heal me. And the fact is, is that ministry is just a thing if there's no Jesus in it. So I just looked to ministry. That's all I knew was performance, just perform. Now, I know how to perform. I've been performing since I was four. I mean, I was the angel. Hello. I know how to do Jesus. I know how to be and act like Jesus. The problem was is that Jesus had no power in the most fragile places of my heart. I was searching beyond searching, looking for things to fill the brokenness and the darkness of my life. Now, I know some of you might not relate to this story because you go, well, I don't do ministry and I don't do drugs, so I don't really understand your story, but I want to press a little bit and say, I think you understand far more my story, and I think we're much more alike than different because you understand pain, and you see pain is pain. It just comes in different packages. When I start talking about experiencing darkness, when I start talking about experiencing the idea of searching for truth and hope and wondering, is this all there is? Wondering, could God really love me? Wondering if my brokenness in my body or my mind or my physical inabilities keeps me from God using me, you start to relate a little bit more to the little blonde-headed addict. You start to realize that you're not so far off from my story and that so many of us are searching and they have been searching since the beginning of time and they will continue searching until they find the image bearer, Jesus Christ, that is their savior. And today I want to share with you a story since it's, you know, Christmas. I thought I'd give you a Christmas story to start off the season, but it's a little different story because <laughs> that's how I roll. So Luke shares a story of Jesus, manger, angel, wise men, manger, all the things, I already said that, but double manger. He shares all of it. Super, super nice story shepherds. It's a very beautiful story. And then we have Matthew. Now, Matthew kind of shares the underbelly of what's happening during this Christmas story. And when there is an underbelly story, I'm in for it. I want to hear about it because it makes me feel better about myself. So <laughs> let's dive in. In Matthew chapter two, Matthew, you need to understand, is a Jew. He is writing this scripture to Jewish people to be able to have them understand the stories in the ancient scriptures of Messiah who has come to give them life and call them the Messiah they've been waiting for. So they would tell these stories year after year as children would sit around and listen to these stories. And they would speak of a savior who came, who was born in a manger, who called shepherds and angels. And then they would introduce our awkward, little weird, three wise men. Now, you need to understand in the narrative of this story, as the Jews are sitting and listening to the story, this would be very off-putting for them because these were not wise men. These were not kings. I know, hang on. I know I'm ruining Christmas right now, but just hang on. 
They were not kings. They were not considered wise. In fact, in Jewish culture, the magi were actually magicians that the world looked at, especially Jews, as silly, naive. In fact, these were what we would be calling today like tarot card readers. They were astrologists. They would look to the stars for answers. They were fortune tellers, dream tellers. They come from Persia and Babylon. They were far from God. They were not followers of any kind of Messiah or even would bow down to the God of creation, they were the ones that no one would talk about, much less put in ancient scriptures. The Magi were men and women who would travel from village to village and would kind of be your modern day medium. People would come to them and ask them, I had this dream, tell me what it is. And they would actually press in to some demonic things to be able to come up with some of the answers that are happening in people's lives. These men were far from wise. They were far from kings. And really, there was much more than three. Because we know as these advisors would travel, they would travel in groups with their wives and their children. They were kind of like gypsies that would go around. Now, with the wise men, hang on there. I know I gave you a lot of information, but with these wise men, they did have an understanding of ancient scripture. Because remember Daniel in the lion's den? You don't know that story? You should go read it. It's very good. Daniel in the lion's den got moved over to Babylon. He had to stay there. And then he worked his way by God's favor up through the ranks and become one of the top advisors in Babylon and around Persia and was training some of these advisors. So these advisors had learned and trickled down through their history, learned about these ancient scriptures. So they knew prophetic things that were gonna happen. They didn't believe, but they knew of it based on their knowledge. Now, I am struck by this idea of the Magi because something in these, these men were searching for answers. As they look to the stars, as they look to dreams, I, I think so many of us even today are so much like the Magi. We will look to anything to try to fill the brokenness, answer the questions. We're all so searching, and so were they. What I love about this story is that God knew exactly where they were and wanted to reach them. Oftentimes, I think we think we have to get it together. We gotta, you know, shape it up a little bit and clean it up a little bit for God to reach us. Yet these men were far from God, looking at the stars, worshiping the stars rather than the creator of the stars. But how does God meet them in their brokenness, in their searching, in their lostness? He meets them with a star. Now, we don't know if this star was planets that came together and commentators actually don't know because we weren't there. But what we do know by scripture is that it probably was something supernatural that really only the eyes of those that were searching could actually see this star. That these men, for whatever reason, and however God knows the person of their heart, the, the person that was so personal to them, that he knew somewhere in their communication, they were searching for the truth. And God says, when you search for me, you will find me. And here a star is in the sky. Now they know the ancient scripture says that in time there will be a star, there will be a king that is born at this certain, around this certain time and that he will be the king over all kings. And this causes the magi to go on a very long search. 
It causes them to pack up all of their belongings, take their wife and their children, we'll know this in a few minutes, that they go in this pack to go on this search to find Jesus. Now, I need you to understand something, that where they came from, Persia, Babylon, super far, okay? Super, super far. So what I want you to do when you go home is I want you to take your beautiful little nativity scene that you have up, and I want you to take your little magi, and I want you to take them all the way over to the other side of the room and put them over there. Because it took like one to two years for them to actually get to baby Jesus. Okay? So you need to be Christian and theologically correct <laughs> and move those magi. Because they did not come on the day Jesus was born. They were coming on camels. They didn't have a car. I don't know what camels do, but I think they're slow. And that's a far walk on a cam- a far ride on a camel. Okay, so they had to travel a far, far way to get there. And when all your friends come into your house and be like, hey, why are your magi over there? You'd be like, huh, let me tell you a story. <laughs> you see, and they're going to be like, we don't care, actually. <laughs> no, just kidding. They care. And, and, and so here they go. They pack up all their things. They start traveling. They have a star that's been guiding them for like a year. We don't know exactly, but like a year to two years, this star has been guiding them. And then they come up to, into Judea. They come to, uh, uh, to King Herod, and they're going to talk with him. And that's where we find ourselves, in Matthew chapter 2. So here Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, King Herod is an awful, terrible, horrible, evil, nasty, nasty person. Okay? He killed his wives. Like, you talk back, he's like, you're dead to me. Literally. You're actually going to be dead. And then he is going to, by the next words that are going to be spoken, he's actually going to command that all the firstborn children are killed. This is an evil man, moved by his own pride, his own prejudice. He is horrible. And here come the wise men. As they walk up about the time, these wise men, which really are not, remember, not so wise, okay? Just magi, kind of offbeat fringe, nobody talking to, kind of low life, kind of peeps, walk up from eastern lands. They arrive in Jerusalem asking to King Herod, hey, uh, where is the king, the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it is arose, and we have come to worship him. Now, Herod is deeply disturbed by their questioning, as was all of Jerusalem. And this is how we know, just a side note, because it's important for you to know how awesome this scripture is, is that if all of Jerusalem was being moved by this, that means there probably wasn't three people. Because three people doesn't make an impact. But a big herd of gypsy kind of dirty walk-in, been traveling for two years, talking about some baby king, that's going to make an impact. So the whole town is hearing about this because nobody can ignore a pack of misfits coming up in your town. And here they come walking in. Hey, uh, I know we've had a star guiding us for two years, but I should stop and ask for directions by the king. I don't get that part, but that's what they did. (laughs) They walk in and, and talk to King Herod, and King Herod is deeply disturbed, it says. And as he's deeply disturbed, he actually calls to his priests and his scribes. In verse 3, Herod was so deeply disturbed by their questioning, as was all of Jerusalem. Verse 4, he called a meeting of all the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where did the prophet say the Messiah would be born, he asks. In Bethlehem, they said. 
For this is what the prophet wrote. This is the scribe speaking to him. Verse 6, O Bethlehem of Judah, they're reciting old scripture. You are not just a lowly village in Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be shepherded for my people Israel. And I find this interesting because you need to understand that the, the people that Herod is calling upon, these are the scribes, the religious teacher, they have studied their whole life, this scripture. They have studied this whole, their whole life. They pride themselves on how much they know. It's their only job is to know all of these scriptures. So when Herod says, where's this king going to be born? They say Bethlehem, and then they recite the scripture about the town that he's going to be born in, and I want you to know that that town they're referring to is five miles away. It's so interesting to me that oftentimes what the world would say is wise are really the most foolish, and what the world would say is foolish end up being the very most wise. You know, as these wise men, these magi stood in this temple, all dusty, all crazy, all fringe looking, asking about a king, they come with very little knowledge about this king, yet are so determined to find him that the very men that they're talking to, the very ones that the world would esteem as wise and have all the knowledge and know all the scriptures and know all the things are the very ones that are the most foolish in the room. And I think some of you here today think that because you don't know enough, because you haven't walked with Jesus long enough, because you don't know how to memorize scripture, that something about you is less than because you don't carry all the knowledge. And yet God is speaking, look, I'm much less interested in all you know about me. I'm much more interested in letting me infiltrate your heart. That's where he wants to move. That's where he wants to speak. And I'm not saying knowledge is bogus. I mean, I'm very smart. I love being very smart. I kind of pride myself on being smart. But most of the time, in the places that I have found the deepest transformation in my heart, it was not about how much I knew of God. It was how much I let him in to the fragile places of my heart so he could be God. As I'm reading this, we will continue on, and Herod is quite uh, manipulative in what he's about to say in verse 7. Then Herod sends a private message to the wise men, asking them to come and see. Hey, I want to chat with you guys for a minute. At this meeting, he learns the exact time when they first saw the star, so he's trying to figure out how old this, this child would be. And this is why he actually uh, uh, announces that he will kill the firstborn, because he actually doesn't know the age. Nobody at this point does, except for, you know, Mary. The shepherds, not the wise men, because they weren't there yet. Right? Move them. You got to move them. <laughs> so as, as they're meeting and learn that this exact time, verse 8, then he tells them, look, King Herod says, go to Bethlehem. Search for this family and, oh, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and I can worship him too. He's a total liar. And the wise men are like, okay, cool. We'll come back and tell you. So it says here in the next verse, after the interview in verse 9, after the interview, the, after they interview the wise men, they went on their own way. And I want you to just make a note of that in their own way because up until this point, they have been searching. And I believe they've been searching all their lives. 
but they are very committed and narrowed down their search to find this king of kings, and they are going their own way. And it's important for you to remember this because of what I'm going to share with you in a few moments. But they have not found God. They have not met him. They have not been transformed by him. They are still very much searching, and they are still very much on their own way. But something happens in a few moments as we read on into the scriptures. After this interview, they go on of their own way, and once again, the star appeared before them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped right over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And then they entered the house where they saw the child and Mary. Also, just a side note, they entered a house, not the manger. Can you please move the magi? Just do it for me. <laughs> so they entered this house and they walked in. Now, I, I need you to get this picture because I think we over, we just kind of read this during the holiday season. We're like, cool, three wise men and whatever. But there's so much powerful meaning in this moment. And what they have been working towards as they walk into the house, there's Mary cleaning and boys doing whatever boys do. I don't really know what men do. I don't, they shovel and shoot guns. And I don't know what boys do actually, but they're doing things. And there is baby Jesus, no longer a baby. He's a child, a toddler now, walking around fully toddler-like. I'm sure he was, you know, a prodigy. <laughs> he walked early. I know because he's perfect. No, he's actually perfect. <laughs> he's Jesus. So, no, my kid's really perfect. I know you think so, but um, so mine's the son of God. I mean, <laughs> I would be a terrible Mary. <laughs> I would be like, everybody look what I have. <laughs> I have the son of God. It's fine. <laughs> this is why God did not choose me. But I think we think like Jesus, we, they walked in and there was the toddler Jesus like, hello, Magi, I've been waiting for you. No, he's a kid. He's a toddler walking around with his hemp diaper on. I don't know, like he's just hanging out. I'm sure that's what they fashioned diapers out of. I don't know. I wasn't there. But there he is walking around. And, but something happens as these Magi walk into this house says in verse 11, as they entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, they fell down before him. I think about the moment that they walked in after they've been searching for so many years. How committed do you have to be to travel on a camel with all of your kids? That's a serious road trip for all for one to two years because of some star and some ancient scripture, something inside of them was calling to them. Something inside of them felt like, if I don't go see this, if I don't go step into this, I'm going to miss something so great and so magnificent that we must go. And I think there's so many in this room that feel that same way today. That's something inside of you. You can't put your finger on it. But what you do know is that whatever you've been trying is falling short. That when the lights are out and nobody's around, you've looked to so many things to fill the brokenness. And it's not working. So you come again this morning hoping that God would maybe meet you or, or maybe show up. But he's telling you, I've been here all along. You just need to ask for your eyes to be opened you see, they were searching, and I don't know what their relationship was with God at the time. It was pretty non-existent, but God knew the depths of their heart, 
and revealed his glory in a star to the ones that nobody would even talk to. And here they, they walk in and see this toddler, but something they understand is that although he is in the form of man, he is the son of God and it drops them to their knees. And how do we know that there was even transformation for these men? We know because it says in the next two words, as they fell down before God, before Jesus Christ, they began to worship. Something happens in this room, and I know some of you might be new to this whole church thing, so you come in here and people are raising their hands and they're clapping and maybe getting on the floor and you're like, what's happening? This is weird. Because something happens in our lives when we've encountered the presence of God and it's changed us, that life is like this and it's so hard, but when God transforms you and changes you and you let him into the fragile places, your hands that were once like this go like this and it frees you. So I know that there's transformation because without a word, seeing the presence of God, all we know from the scriptures is that when they saw him, they fell down and they worshiped. This is what happens when you're in the presence of God. I think so many of us go, you don't know my life, Carrie. I've heard about God my whole life. I mean, it's the Midwest. Everybody knows about God. The reality is is so so many of us see that as a cultural thing and we keep it at a distance because we're so tired of pretending and faking. We think if this is God, I don't want any part of it. And we look at our lives and we go, there's no way I look like that one. I could never act like the pastor or, or be like the elders or, I mean, God bless the one that takes care of the children's ministry. No way. If anybody knew what I was really like, if they knew about the anxiety and the depression that I struggled with, if they knew about the things that I was looking at, if they knew about what I was doing behind closed doors, they would never want to be around me, much less a God of creation. How would he ever want to sit next to me? How would he ever want to talk to me? How would he ever want to be friends with me? I better clean it up. So we perform and we perform and we think that our gifts are so small. Let me tell you something about these magi. They were not rich people. They were not kings. They were broken, outskirts, pushed aside, tarot card readings, probably demon-following pagan worshipers. And all they had to offer was these simple gifts. And they walked before Jesus. They stood before Jesus. And as one after another handed him this gift, the first one being gold, you know, they didn't know that these were prophetic in nature. The very small gift that they could offer, the very... The very least of, is probably the most of what they had could offer was really proclaiming the prophetic nature of who Jesus will be. You see, gold is given to a king. Frankincense is given to a priest or rabbis. And myrrh, you would give to somebody who's about to embalm a body. They didn't even know it at the time, but they were proclaiming the kingship, the spiritual headship, and the death, burial, and then resurrection of the true king of kings. I love when it says in the next scripture, as it goes on, and they give frankincense and myrrh in verse 12, but when it was time to leave, they went home another way because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And I wanna break that down just for a few minutes because in this scripture, so hang tight with me, but 
in this scripture, it says, do you remember when I had you make a mental note of they went their way? That word there is just the word there. It's not translated as anything else, but this word here, they went another way, is actually the translations in the Greek, the Bible, the Old New Testament was written in the Greek, and, and it says the word hodos. And why is that important? It's important because the word hodos is still used in the scripture when Jesus says, the way towards me is the narrow way, hodos. It also says that the way of the righteous will prosper, hodos. There's a transformation that has happened in the heart of these men. You see, they were searching and then they found the Savior. They were on their way looking for things to fill their life. But the moment that they saw Jesus, hodos took place. They went a new way. They went the way of the narrow way, the way of the righteous, the way that says, I am no longer searching. You see, the moment that they saw Jesus, the search ended and the journey began. And here's the point, friends. I think we look around and we think that somehow we've misconstrued and flipped a narrative that God says, once you find me, you're going to leave here all good. And everybody that's in this room is like, yeah, that is not my story. Because our life with God is a journey, a journey of learning what it means to surrender every day, a journey of what it means to no longer go our way, but to go the way of the righteous. And step by step, he is with us. I love, just as a side note, that God revealed his plan to them to go a new way in their dreams. You see, I think when they were younger, and I don't know this fully to be true, but I know this in my own life, they have a gifting, a gifting to understand dreams, to have discernment, even maybe some prophetic gifting because of the gifts that they have. They've been gifted, but they just lost their way. And what the enemy tried to distract and steal, God met them in their personal gifting by speaking to them in a dream and saying, oh, I still speak here, but you no longer bow to the king of this world. You bow to the king of creation. And the king of creation will renew new dreams in your life, new purposes in your life, new plans for your life. So the very girl who was on stage playing an angel, did you know that God would still call me to do this? But just for a while, I had lost my way. But God redirected my heart. He hodosed in my heart to go the way of the righteous, the way that brings freedom, the way that brings life. And I think when I read this, why on earth, Matthew, would you put the story of the Magi in here? Because I think he wants you to know from the very moment he took his first breath, he was calling the people that no one wanted to sit by. He was calling the people that had the ugly story, that had the broken story, that had the demonic story, that had the addiction story, the oppression story, the story that nobody wants to be around or even much less have in their scriptures. Matthew wants you to know, let me tell you who was one of the first greeters on earth to the king of all creation. It was the shepherds and the magi and the people everyone forgot about. Jesus says, you're who ushers in my kingdom. You're who I sit with. You're who I belong to. And friends, I think we have misconstrued this scripture. I think we have read it through the narrative of humans' interpretations of how we are supposed to be and live. And you go, I can never be used by God. And then I read you the story of the Magi and you go, maybe I could. 
because they seem really messy. And I go, yeah, that's the whole point. You see, Jesus, as he came, as he took his first breath and was calling the Magi, it was in the last moments as he hung on the cross, thinking of your name, thinking of your life, knowing everything you've ever done, ever will do, and he's on that cross being accused of crimes he never committed, and the whole time he's thinking, I do this because I want freedom for you. I want life for you. I want purpose for you. So as he hung there, could have just died and did what he needed to do, but no. Two criminals stand on, are hung on either side, one mocking Jesus. Come on, Jesus. You're so powerful, get off that cross and save me. And the other criminal goes, how dare you? Not even in death do you acknowledge that he is the king of kings. We are on here because we did something wrong, but he is here as an innocent man and he does his best to look to Jesus who was beaten and bruised and completely unrecognizable. This is Jesus. I've been terrible, but when you go to heaven, if you could remember me. And Jesus looks at him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Very last moment that this man is taking his breath, Jesus is searching for one more. One more person to meet, one more person to give hodos to a new journey, a new path, the way of the righteous. This man stood in no kind of righteousness. But the moment he claimed Christ, his sins were forgiven. And this blows my mind because I have zero power to do that. You see, we're no match. We're no match for what this world has to offer. We don't have enough faith. We don't have enough the abilities to perform or put it all together. We don't have enough. You're no match. And we're striving and we're trying and we're checking boxes and we're climbing ladders and we're trying to prove that we are worthy enough. But the moment those men, those magi men saw the Christ child, their soul felt its worth. This is the moment that they knew that it doesn't matter what I've done. I have been humbled by the presence of God Almighty. And he looked at me and spoke to my heart and said, I've given you a new way. I don't know, God, I can't clean this up. It's okay. I don't know, God, like, are you ever gonna heal me of this? Will I ever speak again, walk again, be healed again? And God goes, I have never promised that this world will go well. What I do promise is I will be with you every step of the way because searching feels lost. It feels dark and like I'm pulling at straws and just trying to make a way. I'm trying to figure it out in my own power, in my own mind. But the moment we stop searching and we allow God to guide our journey, we may not know what steps we go to, but we know that the end is with Christ in healing. We also know that he is our guide every step of the way. This is actually the Christmas story that the very people he met when he first took his first breath to the very people he was with when he took his last were the ones that nobody would want to be with. Nobody would want to sit with, no good king would wanna be around. And yet I believe there's some people in this place today, especially you men, 
I speak to you because I wanna empower to you the righteousness of your place in your home and in this church and in this community. That what the enemy has tried to steal from your childhoods, what the enemy has tried to tell you to stay quiet, put your head down, just keep plowing, just keep going. All we need to do is provide, that's it. And I'm telling you right now that there's been a dream and a purpose in your life to take back your homes, to take back your ministry, to take back your children. That God has called you, not because of how great your story is, but because of how great he is in your story that he uses the broken, right? He uses the misfits, right? He uses the ones that are discarded and treated as lowly. And he says, that's my people because movements start with misfits and they end in the hands of the kingdom of God. I'm gonna ask that you would stand with me right now. I believe that the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to many of you in this room and I would not be a good friend if I did not offer this to some of you and if not all of you in this room tonight, today. I'm gonna ask that you would just bow your heads and you would close your eyes and just give me a few more minutes of your time and that you would just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. I believe there's some of you in this room that have been searching for a really long time and you realize that God has been calling to you for so long. You've pushed it down. You've pushed it aside. You've done other things, things to try to fill it. But God is speaking right now and he's saying, aren't you tired? Aren't you worn out? I'm here and I wanna be your savior. If that's you here today and you are tired of searching and the bravest step you'll ever make is saying, I do not wanna leave here the same this morning. I wanna look back next December and say, that December I came on December 2nd, I chose to stop searching and to start a journey with Jesus Christ. And if that is you here today, I'm gonna ask that you would be brave and that you would raise your hand so that I could pray for you. Yes, I see your hand. I wanna know Jesus. I don't know what this looks like all around the room. Praise God. I want to know Jesus. There's still a few of you I know that are hesitant to raise your hand, but you're saying, I want to know God. I'm so tired of doing it on my own. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand. Put your hand down and we'll pray for you in just a second. I would, I don't want to leave this room because I know just like me, there's many of us who grew up in the church, culturally understand it. Maybe we've even accepted him as our savior, but the searching has still been going because we've not allowed him to journey in the most fragile places of our hearts, the places that are covered in shame and brokenness. And all God wants to do is exchange that fear for his faith. If that's you here today and you just go, I need more of you, Jesus. I need to get honest with you. I need to surrender some parts to you. Would you raise your hand so that I could pray for you? Yes, I see you. I want more, Lord, more faith, more power, more freedom. If that's you, raise your hand. I see you. I see you all around the room. Yes. So as we begin to pray, I just want to pray for those that right now want to know you as Savior. It's so simple. There's no magical prayer. It's really just a surrender of your heart. But to mark this moment, we will say a prayer that says this, Jesus Christ, I am tired of searching. I am lost and the brokenness is overwhelming. Would you come in and take residence in my life and be my savior and journey with me? And Lord, as we begin to pray for those in this room that need to know more of you, 
that need to have more of your power. God, I pray right now for a supernatural move that would say, today is the day that we open up the most fragile places of our heart. Today is the day that we come to the altar and actually receive the forgiveness that has been offered. Today is the day that we break the chain of the childhood lie, of the childhood brokenness, of the place that said you are never good enough, you are never worthy enough, you just need to keep striving and perfecting. Today is the day that we break that lie. And in all honesty and all freedom, we will come before the altar. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High Living God, we will come before with all of our fragile pieces as you cry out from the very breath that you first took to the very breath that you last took. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us not wait until the day that we see you face to face. May you bring your kingdom here. May your kingdom come into this place. May healing happen here, today, right now. Break those chains, God. Break those lies. May we rise up in the name of Jesus Christ and take our rightful place in the kingdom as men and women before the holy, mighty God. May we sing out and cry out to you this morning. Today is the day, may it be marked in history that Alpine Church started to stand for Christ, started to take back territory for the living God. No longer will we stand in brokenness, but we will stand in victory and God will have his way here today. In Jesus' name, amen.
want you to hear the truth in what we just sing. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. The Father's arms are open wide. Listen, it's one hour, one hour and 15 minutes in a week that we give for moments like this. Here's one of the challenges. I'm going to invite us to do something that might be a little bit difficult because here's what's true. And I, I hope we get this. There, there's two moments that we get to bow in our life. The first one is when we realize that Jesus loves us and calls us to himself to be the Lord of our lives. And we bow in that moment to give our hearts to him. It's not about us. But sometimes in Christianity we think that's what all we needed to do and now we're good and we'll see God in heaven someday and say hello. There's the second bowing that happens every day of our lives as we're surrendering everything that we are so that we can be everything that he is. Have all that he is within us. It's that coming in that moment of worship to say, man, it, sometimes we think God looks at us and wants to point out the bad. And then we feel shame. That's not how God works. If he's pointing something out, it's to show you that he's got something better. That he wants to fill your life with. And he's saying, stop letting that have control. Let me have control and watch what will happen. And so we come and we surrender those things. We come. Why do we come? Because we've been promised that if we will draw near to him, he will draw near to us. It's not about how fast we get out of church. It's about what God wants to do right here in this moment. And I'm telling you, for some of us who love Jesus with all of our hearts, we sure are letting a lot of dumb things keep us in darkness. And so what I want to do is I want us to sing this again. And if you're here, sometimes it's just a move. Whether you come to the front of a room and you just spend time with you and God or you kneel at your chair or you find a place, yeah, we're time constrained and we have kids to pick up. So maybe one of you can go and get the kids. But if you're feeling like, man, there's some things in my life that I want to spend time with God with today. I want to surrender those times. Here's what surrender does. Surrender isn't giving something up. Surrender is making room for more. That's what surrender is. And I'll tell you what, I'm tired of letting the enemy of my soul have places in my heart that were designed for only God. So as we sing this, man, let's stop dealing with the things we're dealing with. Let's invite the healing power of God into the deepest places of our hearts so that freedom can happen. If that's coming to the front of a room, if that's kneeling by your chair, whatever it is, let's worship him. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? We sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. We exalt you, Jesus. We exalt you. Bow down before him. For he is love. 
stay, stay if you have to go. 